Hello, hello. Hi, my friends. Welcome or welcome back to the Combed Education Podcast. Let's talk hair. My name is Araz. I am your host. Um, I've shared many times if you've listened to any of these episodes um, a little bit about my journey. So I've been in this industry for over 20 years, 24, I believe. Um, and I've been involved in education for the majority of those years. And Combed Education uh, is a passion project of mine. And this podcast is a form of contribution um, from me to the industry. So if you take the time to listen every week, I thank you for that. I appreciate it so much. Um, and if you're new here, welcome. Just scroll. There's a ton of episodes with way more in the queue. Um, lots of little nuggets of education. And I share this on Instagram often, this message, and I'm going to share it here today as well, that while there is so much value in receiving little nuggets of wisdom, nuggets of education, carousel posts on Instagram, reels, YouTube shorts, um, little droplets of information, that is great and is a great way to stay inspired, is a great way to stay in the loop. But you cannot confuse what you get from like YouTube University and Instagram University and Google University. Um, it doesn't compare to a solid education curriculum that puts all the pieces together. So I'll even share with you, I've shared on here before, um, the Fundamentals Course Shop. That is all of everything that I have learned in my 20-something years um, in regards to science, in regards to chemistry, in regards to how to formulate the artistry of what we do in a comprehensive curriculum that builds on top of each other. And so the value of that is all the pieces of the puzzle are put together. You get the whole puzzle versus, you know, on the podcast and on Instagram and YouTube, while it's great to get these little pieces, you don't want to discount um, the, the place for a actual curriculum. So if you are into that, obviously, combededucation.com slash fundamentals. Um, that's everything that I have learned in my 20-something years, all put in a way that makes perfect sense. With that being said, I will still continue to drop little nuggets of education and little droplets of wisdom to help you along your journey. So today's topic, I want to talk about demystifying hair color ingredients. So I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and like, what are some of these ingredients? And oh my gosh, it's too complicated and hairdressers aren't smart enough to know, like all that bullshit, right? So I'm going to demystify, um, <laughs> excuse me, some of the main common ingredients today, because here's the thing. Understanding the ingredients of the chemicals that we are working with is going to ensure that we are well-educated on what we are using and how to use, <coughs> excuse me, what we are using. So oftentimes when we are not grounded in some of this terminology or some of these ingredients, it's really easy. And I say this from a place of love, but it's really easy for brands, manufacturers, and other people to kind of take advantage of our naivety and use it against us. Now, I'm not talking shit on brands or manufacturers. I've worked with brands before. There's time and a place. Um, my goal is to have you be a very well-educated colorist and have you asking the questions that matter so that you're not being 
I hate saying taken advantage of, but like, so someone's not trying to pull a fast one on you. Okay. So today I'm going to dive in a little bit to, um, three of the most common hair color ingredients, um, and what they do. And this is just to help you understand a little bit about the roles and goals of these ingredients so that you no longer fear, I'm doing air quotes if you're not watching on YouTube, so that you no longer fear anything rather that you understand it. And when I say fear, I use that term loosely because I don't think anyone's afraid of ammonia, but there are some of you, for example, who are just very hell-bent on using ammonia-free color. But do you know why? Like, do you really know why? Or is it what you've been told? Right. And so even with what I say, take it and run with it and do your own digging and research and question asking. But my goal is to, to take away the fear and the smoke and the mystery of these three ingredients. Let's get to it. What are they? What do they do? What's the real deal about them? So that you have a little bit more understanding. And I go in depth more in the, obviously in the fundamentals course, but I want to lay it on you today. So first, let's dive into ammonia. Okay, so ammonia is known as the color catalyst, okay? Ammonia is an alkalizer. So uh, every hair color uses an alkalizer. The most common in permanent color is ammonia. However, some colors use MEA, AMP. I have podcasts about this. You can go look back and find a shit ton of information on this. But ammonia is known as a catalyst, okay? It is one of the key ingredients in many permanent hair colors. And its primary role as an alkalizer is to soften and swear, uh, swear, to soften and swell the cuticle, allowing those color molecules, those diintermediates and couplers to penetrate and to deposit into the cortical fibers of the hair. So this process actually ensures that Uh, the color that you are using achieves longevity and remains vibrant after multiple washes. Um, Ammonia also helps, helps is not responsible for, but helps in lightening the natural hair color by breaking down the melanin. This is with the help of developer um, providing this blank canvas for your desired color. Okay. So while Ammonia offers numerous benefits. And if you've been here for a while, you know I love ammoniated color. I'm not into, especially for permanent, I love ammonia. It is like chef's kiss. Um, It is important to acknowledge some of the potential issues that are associated with it. Okay. So the primary concern with ammonia, and I'm dead serious here, the primary concern is the smell. Because of the smell of ammonia, so many people in this industry have just been like, oh my God, it smells like chemicals. It must be so bad. There are chemicals that have zero smell that could kill you in like 0.25 seconds. Just putting it out there. Okay. So one of the primary um, concerns is the strong smell that accompanies ammonia-based color. And while it doesn't smell good, um, it can be irritating to some individuals making the hair color process kind of less enjoyable, but it's not necessarily dangerous. Yes, it smells bad, but ammonia is a gas. It dissipates. It goes away. Um, Now, there are obviously um, some people who get scalp and skin irritation from ammonia because of its alkaline nature. It is very, very alkaline. So it can cause a little bit of sensitivity in certain individuals, maybe leading to a little bit of redness. 
itching, burning sensation on the scalp. So it is important, obviously, to be aware of some of these potential reactions and obviously always do a patch test on a new client before applying any hair color, especially an ammonia-based hair color, just to ensure their safety and comfort. Now, I want to talk about ammonia allergies because there is a whole um, group of people, brands, marketing, manufacturer, whatever, that have taken this ammonia smells bad and hairdressers think it's bad. So let's take that and create a problem. And now we have the solution with this like ammonia free color. And so many people are allergic to ammonia and ammonia is this bad guy, right? Well, like let's talk about ammonia allergies, right? Although possible are relatively rare. So according to research, literally less than 1% of the population may be allergic to ammonia. It is worth noting that if an individual has a history of allergies or sensitivities to other substances, they may have a higher likelihood of being sensitive to ammonia, but the allergies, the actual allergies, less than 1%. So the reason I say this, I was talking about it at the top of the episode to kind of demystify and take away the fear. When you are using a product line that is ammonia-free, there is a story there that ammonia is bad right? There's a story there that ammonia is bad. You have to understand how marketing works. Marketing works based on storytelling and offering a solution to a problem that is marketing 101, positioning 101. So when you have a brand or a color and its main differentiating point is that it is free from these chemicals, there is a story that these chemicals are bad. Do your own research, ask some questions, talk to cosmetic chemists, read a couple papers, you know, like, is it that bad or is this the story? That's for you to decide. Listen, I love ammoniated color. I will use it all day, twice on Sunday for permanent color. Like I love it. My goal is to take away that fear. Okay. So next up, let's talk about PPD. This is another one. Huge, right? PPD is known as the coloring agent. PPD is a dye molecule, okay? Um, Paraphenylene diamine. I don't know if I said that right. I am not a chemist. That's how I pronounce it in my head. Um, this is a very, very common dye molecule used in many, many, many oxidative hair color products. It provides the color itself. It is a primary color, primary dye. Um, and it plays a crucial role in achieving the desired shade, so your background, your depth, a lot of that is brought by PPD. PPD is also valued for its ability to deliver a very rich and very vibrant color result. So I'm going to tell you this, like if you're using a color line that's PPD free and you swatch it next to a color line that uses PPD, 10 times out of 10, the color line that uses PPD is going to be more vibrant, is going to be more rich, is going to give you better great coverage. Hands down, every time. It is a highly effective dye molecule that provides long lasting color. It is widely used in both permanent and demi-permanent hair colors. And the thing is PPD's longevity is what makes it really suitable for achieving these intense true to tone shades. Additionally, PPD is also known for its stability. So it's it helps retain color longevity and allows the color to remain vibrant even after exposure to like sunlight, repeated washing, shampoo, conditioning, all that. So 
PPD, this is what makes it a preferred choice for clients who want color that lasts a long time. Just like with ammonia, while PPD offers many benefits, it is important to be aware of potential dangers. And I air quote it, but it can be dangerous if somebody is allergic. Um, that's the biggest concern is if they are allergic. So some people may develop a sensitive sensitization. I can speak, I promise. Um, uh, sensitization or allergies to PPD over time leading to adverse reactions upon exposure. So I've covered this before in other podcasts. Um, I believe I talked about it in the podcast titled Navigating Hair Color Allergies. So a lot of the times the PPD allergy isn't something that somebody naturally has. It is developed over time through overexposure, number one, and number two, improper post-oxidation. Improper post-oxidation, meaning when the color is oxidized and it's time to remove from the hair, if you don't remove that color efficiently and you don't remove that color fully, and there is some that remains on the hair, on the hairline, on the ear, whatever, over time, a client can develop an allergy because now that PPD is staying on their skin, right? And so between uh, multiple times of overexposure, multiple times of improper post-oxidation, a client can actually develop a PPD allergy. So a PPD allergy can literally manifest as contact dermatitis, which is really like the symptoms are like redness, itchiness, swelling, rash on the scalp, hairline, forehead, neck, ears, et cetera. In severe cases, and hello, I've seen this happen once, almost died myself, um, your clients may experience um, blistering, may experience oozing, may experience breathing issues, swelling in their face, in their throat. It can be bad, okay? However, I want you to know this. The prevalence of PPD allergies varies, um, it, and it depends, okay, among the your clientele, but studies suggest that literally one to 2% of the general population may be sensitive or allergic to PPD. Um, again, just like with ammonia, if your client naturally has a lot of allergies and sensitivities to begin with, it is likely that they will develop an allergy or sensitivity to PPD. Um, but with that being said, PPD's main role is a dye molecule. It is a primary dye molecule. It is one of the most widely used dye molecules. It is not always the bad guy. Um, when a client develops an allergy, most of the time it's from overexposure and improper post-oxidation. So as a colorist, when you're washing the color out of your client's hair, don't half-ass it. Rinse like you would a perm, shampoo once, shampoo twice, get it all out so that you don't put your client in a situation where they can develop a PPD allergy. But when we're talking about beautiful, vibrant, rich results, amazing, great coverage, PPD all the way, all the fucking way. Okay, so la last thing I want to talk about resource and all, and this is one that hasn't gotten quite a horrible rap yet. Um, ammonia for sure was like freaking slaughtered. Uh, PPD has been demolished by some brands. Resource and all depends. Some brands are starting to use the tagline that we are resource and all free. Um, so what is resource and all? Well, it is an it's an enhancing of the coloring results. Okay. Resource and all is a common ingredient that's found in color, hair color across the board. And it is a key component in oxidative hair coloring process um, or oxidative coloring products, I should say. And what it does is it helps to create the color 
by reacting with the developer. You've heard me talk about couplers before. Resourcenal is a coupler. So it acts as a coupling agent, um, facilitating the reaction, the chemical reaction between the dye precursors like PPD and the hydrogen peroxide in developers. So this reaction leads to the formation of the color molecules. They couple, they combine, there's a chemical reaction that occurs and these colors then develop into the color that we see with our eyes. So it leads to the formation of these color molecules that bind then to the hair shaft. Um, it also contributes to the durability of the color, allowing for longer lasting results even after multiple washes. Um, and resorcinol is actually particularly effective in providing gray coverage for resistant gray hair. So if there's resorcinol in your color formula, you'll probably notice if you look at ingredient decks for any color line that has like an NN or gray coverage series, likely there's resorcinol in there. Um, so it's a very valuable ingredient uh, in the hair color process. And actually it also, um, resorcinol also aids in the oxidation process. So uh, allowing for that desired color change in the hair to occur more efficiently. So resorcinol also does help swell the cuticle layers and help penetrate into the cortex, ensuring that the color is deposited effectively, efficiently, and achieves the desired depth and vibrancy. So while, not even while, okay, every ingredient that I've mentioned, there's always the potential of potential dangers. There's the potential of potential dangers. There's the potential of allergic reactions. There's the potential of sensitivities to occur. So resorcinol is classified as an irritant. It is classified as an irritant. It may cause skin or scalp irritation, especially when used in high concentrations or if left on the scalp for an extended period of time. Follow the manufacturer's rules, guys. Follow the manufacturer's rules, especially if you're using a color line that does contain resorcinol. Um, you got to make sure you apply it properly. You got to make sure you process it properly. You got to make sure you remove it properly. Um, and if your clients experience any kind of irritations, redness, itching, burning, stop using it. Go listen to my podcast on navigating hair color allergies on what to do when you're dealing with a allergy or situation. Um, the prevalence of resorcinol allergies is relatively low, though, compared to other hair color ingredients. Um, just like with ammonia and PPD, allergic reactions to resorcinol are rare with a very small percentage of individuals experiencing a sensitivity or allergy. Under 1% is what I found. Um, so just some little tidbits of information for you as far as like these, these are three of the main ingredients used in hair color, ammonia or an alkalizer, PPD or dye molecules, uh, primaries, and then resorcinol or couplers and precursors. So like I said, understanding the roles and the goals of these ingredients is so crucial to becoming a confident colorist, to know your shit, to understand your chemicals, to know why you're using what you're using. Um, I teach all in depth about this in the fundamentals of hair and color. It's an online course shop. I go into the science of the hair, the chemistry of the color, along with giving you a strategy on how to formulate, um, literally equations on how to formulate whatever color line you use. I don't care. In any situation, I will teach you how to do all of that. And that's all in the fundamentals course shop. Um, I will put a link to it down below, uh, slash fundamentals. Your future self might thank you. Um, I hope this episode was 
impactful and helpful for you, got your wheels turning a little bit, don't be afraid to ask your manufacturers questions, guys. Don't be afraid to read the ingredient decks. Don't be afraid of learning the chemistry of what we are working with. It is all part of what we do. So you've got to understand it. And if you don't want to do all the digging, I did it. It's in the course shop. Sign up. You will not regret it. I will see you guys next time. Until then, happy hair coloring.